Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Chip Frederick. Chip is a former Vanderbilt baseball player. I have Chip on often during baseball season, and we didn't get to do that much this year, so Chip and I are doing a wrap-up show today on what we saw this season and looking forward to the 2021 roster. This show is presented by the Well Coffee House, which is a Nashville area coffee house that provides fresh roast coffee along with house-made pastries, breakfast and lunch offerings. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are Brentwood, Green Hills, Downtown, and Bellevue. More information can be found at wellcoffeehouse.org, the Well Coffee House, where coffee changes lives. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center, which is located in the Gulch. Today's news is presented by Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury firm in Nashville, These guys will shoot you straight on your rights and options when you have been injured in an accident. Call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, no real news, but we are still awaiting the announcement of what will happen with the MLB draft. Speculation is it will be between five and ten rounds. Again, that will be a topic of discussion in today's show. Our guest line is presented by Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowling Branch sheets were until I got some for myself. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them for a month. You can return them for free, but you won't want to. Once you get these sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. And enter the promo code VANDY to get $50 off your first set of sheets. Today's question and answer session sponsored by Mark Gent of Simply a Fan. Mark organizes road trips to sporting events across the country and will be doing so for future Vanderbilt sporting events. Go to simplyafan.com for more information. Tell them you heard about it on the podcast. Chip Frederick joins us now. Chip, of course, has joined us for a long time on the podcast to break down Vandy baseball. Chip, you and I had big plans for this year to talk during conference season. That's when we were going to start our podcast. And lo and behold, the conference season is over before it starts. It is certainly a weird time, not just for Vanderbilt baseball and baseball in general, but for everybody and their families. Hope you and yours are doing well, and we appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, sure, Chris. Good to be with you. Not, I wasn't expecting this situation. I know I uh, had a great time doing this last year. Finished up in Omaha with the national championship, and we got to visit from out there. And it's just uh, crazy times we're living in. It's a, um, you know, this team was moving along as, you know, expected to play Ole Miss this weekend. I was looking at the schedule, and it's almost as if this whole situation happened like a year or two ago. And when you think back on the season I'm talking about, because there's things I had to, in preparing for this podcast, look back at the statistics and where the team was and who was healthy and who wasn't. And it's just, um, it is almost as if, uh, and you worry about it, but being a former player, the emotion of this, uh, this whole situation, I'm sure there's got to be a lot of counseling going on with the coaching staff and trying to keep the morale up because these guys, they like playing in front of the fans in the SEC and these cathedral-like stadiums across the SEC and the country and going out to Arizona and, and California trips. I mean, that's those are memories they have. But 
the camaraderie that is lost, you know, those guys are a tight knit group. I mean, the players I played with were, we were tight. And if we got back together, sure. We would talk about the games, but we would talk about, you know, the, the dinners and the times in the dorm room and and the locker room and the funny things that happened and to have it almost like just the brake slammed on it like this emotionally is hard. And you've got these guys who, don't know where their place is, where their place on the team next year, what, what their future of pro ball, what, you know, what is the draft? How does that come into play and their schoolwork? So there's a lot of things that are going on and, and those things are, I'm sure the coaching staff is keeping tabs with these guys and trying to keep them upbeat, but it was um, some crazy times they're living in and, and just something that I, I know that everyone will always remember. Yeah. Tim talks about the goodbyes being tough all the time I think under any circumstance, I'm sure this was doubly tough for him. I guess the silver lining, the kids that I felt bad for, Ty Duvall and Harrison Ray, but at the same time, the last full season that they had, they were national champions and played on one of the greatest teams probably in the history of college baseball. So they they do have that to fall back on. I'm sure this is tough. As you said, you miss the camaraderie and all those things and to have the brakes slammed on was hard to deal with, but I am happy for those guys that they do have that to fall back on. Oh yeah. And you think about those guys who came back and, and, um, you know, and, and Harrison Ray wrote his, his, uh, our article, I guess he forwarded on, they posted on the Vanderbilt website and, and sounds like that he's moving on. You know, you, you have these situations where you have to think for yourself, when you know people end up doing that, you know they would want to do what's best for the team. But for Harrison to come back, I'm sure he was disappointed he didn't get an offer last year, drafted or whatever. And you know, you're, it gets to be an age factor. If these guys want to give Pro Ball a shot, they've got to you know, move on. So, yeah, it, it, you do think about those guys, Duvall and Harrison Ray, those of the world who, who, and there's guys like that across the country. Every SEC team and, and non-SEC teams, uh, college players in general who have to make tough decisions and they don't really know what it's going to look like. And I can only imagine uh, Kim and his staff, what they're trying to maneuver uh, as far as who roster roster management going forward. Cause I don't think they really know they might have an idea, but at a school like Vanderbilt where the cost of tuition is so high and you got a lot of these players paying for their own way um, or a big chunk of it, at least, then you've got some obligations too and family and can we just come back for another year and put that expense on their family? So lots of things to absorb and, and think about. And uh, it, it, it is an emotional time and it's just, it's, um, it's something that has to be thought out well because you're kind of in no man's land. You don't know how it's going to be handled by the NCAA as far as roster and money and all those things. Before we look ahead to draft and rosters and such, I want to rewind this season. I talked to Tim Corbin recently just to pick his brain because Tim always has a really good feel on his team and where it's headed. And Tim can see through the troubles at the time and get a good read on what he's got. And when I talked to him, I sensed he was very confident in the direction they were heading. I think he felt like their freshman that were playing roles for them were starting to come along. Maybe not in terms of stuff that you and I could see, 
but in practices and pregame stuff and things like that. He felt like Rocker and Hickman were going to be okay in terms of the little arm issues or whatever you want to call it. I guess Hickman's was an oblique that they were going through. That was my concern was if those guys weren't healthy, then it's a different season. Talking to him, he seemed to be very confident that those kids were going to be back pitching within one, two weeks at the most from where they left off. So after talking to him and getting his read on things, I think they were headed for another huge year with the shot to defend their national title. What was your sense on where that season was headed? Well, you, you look at the record, you know, the 13-5 and five, uh, when things ended, uh, you know, and you, and you look at statistic-wise, I mean, you look at Austin Martin batting 377. Well, you know, some people, and this team will always, and it always happened, it happened with South Carolina, the teams in South Carolina when they, but that terrific run back about a dozen years ago, 10 years ago, eight, nine, when they, uh, you know, won, won a couple in a row there, your expectations are always going to be following you from the previous year. You know, Austin Martin was batting 377, but it didn't feel like he was batting 377. 377 is really good, but compared again to the expectations of what he did the year before, he was hitting in the fours. Uh, but, you know, this team – by all sense and purposes, you, you, you felt like they were going to have to pitch their way to wins. And when those guys getting healthy with, you have Hickman and, and rocker, you kind of didn't know. So, yeah, I mean, to say that they were have an opportunity to win some, to defend their championship, I see that point, but it was going to be a lot different than it was the previous year. They're going to have to pitch their way to some wins. They were going to have to, you know, if you're going to be hitting in the, you know, you got Austin Martin at 377, Cooper Davis at 348, and then a slew of guys in the 200s. Those guys you're going to have to pick up in the lineup. Uh, uh, and, the, you know, there, were there might have been a lot of games this season where, you know, uh, Rocker pitches his fanny off and gets beat one nothing or 2-1, to one, or the same with Hickman. There was going to, you know, you're going to have to defend really well and they're going to have to pitch really well until the hitting came around. I'm not saying that the hitting was never going to come around, but as far as how they played in the first 18 games, uh, there was not a lot of confidence, of course, that they were going to blow people out and just do it like they were last year. You know, there were some times on Friday night last year where they, you know, scored 10, 11, 12 runs. I mean, I could still pitch with that. I could go out there and, and have a cushion and go out there and just throw strikes. And I say that jokingly, but it, they had that benefit of the doubt where this year they were really going to have to have those guys be healthy, their top-tier guys. The pitching, I think, was outstanding. But I think, you know, where they were, is that the question you're asking me? I mean, I think this team was uh, definitely a regional team, you know, probably host. But you look at what the other teams are doing, Chris, in the conference, and, you know, Ole Miss, I talked to an Ole Miss fan yesterday, Ole Miss was 16 and one, right? Or Florida was 16 and one. So was Ole Miss. Alabama was 16 and one. Now that does that translate? Tennessee was 15 and two. Does that translate in them when they get in the conference season into wins? Maybe not. And there's some teams who have some gaudy records uh, coming out of non-conference play. But I think the that was going to be the t- you know the sign of how this team was going to do in Knoxville. How were they going to do when they went into Knoxville in weekend number two? I think it was and. So a lot of unknowns, but I think pitching and defense, they're going to have to field and pick it and throw it on the infield and not make many errors, and the pitching was going to have to come through. 
Well, let's look at where they were, okay? They had not played a killer schedule to date. Now, it wasn't an awful one. Certainly some of those teams that ran off to big starts uh, did not play as good a competition probably as Vanderbilt had. You know, they did go out west in that series where they were one and two. I think Hawaii was going to turn out to be a little bit better team than most people thought. You know, but it's not like what they were going to play. But they lost five games. Four of them were by one run. They didn't win uh, except for once any one-run game. So they were one and four in one-run games. Their other loss was by two runs. I think they won a game by two runs. The games they were winning, they were winning pretty handily. The games they were losing were close. Within that, you've got to consider that Austin Martin was either hurt or out in some of their tougher games. Tyler Brown had not pitched like Tyler Brown yet. Hickman and Rocker were hurt. So they had a thing going to where their big guns, a lot of them were unavailable, or in Brown's case, for whatever reason, just off to a slow start, and they were losing close games. So, again, no reason, I don't think, to panic in all in what we had seen. I, I just think that all indications were this was going to be an outstanding team again. Yeah, and, he, and those question marks you mentioned about Tyler Brown, which was really the big head-scratcher um, to me. And he started off that, you know, first weekend there, that campaign on the road at least, losing those two games with blown save. And, and you know, wondering if that was just a mechanical issue. You, know, you can throw 94, 93, 94, 95 in this day and age, but if it's straight, people are going to hit it. And it looks like he didn't have as much movement on – his fastballs he did before. I think his breaking pitch was still outstanding. So those little things you wonder about uh, how they would have come along if Tyler Brown had um, had gotten himself to where you know they, he'd work things out with um, Coach Brown and that staff and and how that how they would have maneuvered because I mean that that was a it's still on paper a formidable staff that could go out there every weekend and win every game. And, uh, and and dominate. And you, you look at the losses in this team, probably nine to eight loss, and you three to two, two to one, three to one. I mean, it, there wasn't a, a time where the staff was getting lit up to the point that you pointed that there were dangers there. It just it was just you, you thought like as the weather got warmer and the batters got more in line with what was going on and Austin Martin got better and from his ailments that this team was going to be able to put it together. But that's the big unknown that we'll never know about. So uh, I thought it was curious that Tyler Brown made the announcement he's coming back. I was in Florida when that happened and saw that news. I don't know if you were shocked. I just with his family situation with his having the young daughter uh, in, in her situation and needs you just kind of puzzled a little, little bit. I admire it uh, greatly. Obviously, you got some things he wants based that his draft position, but I thought that was interesting and surprising to me that he'd already made the decision he's coming back. Yeah, and if someone posed to me, that could be a ploy because if you come out and say that and teams believe it, then it takes a little bit more money maybe to to get you to go pro. I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't think he had anything to lose by saying that. So there's been some question of whether that'll hold up. That's all speculation. Uh, but anyway, that that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, and you just, you know, when we don't know what the draft is going to be like this year, what the teams are going to do, and 
you know, you and I talked um, about this and, you know, how the roster management is going to be next year. And, and you mentioned to me in the conversation we had that, you know, major league teams look at age. They don't look at the year. So you're going to have a lot of kids, you know, do is a lighter going to be considered a freshman again, or is he going to be a sophomore? Well, I don't know if it really matters because lighter when he turns 21 becomes, he was an older kid uh, coming in. So you're going to have a slew of these kids, these sophomores who, if they, I don't know if they're going to just call them juniors, you know, and give them the extra year of eligibility. That's where the scenario gets kind of hairy. Cause you got all these sophomores who come back, you weren't planning on them leaving, but some of them, if, if the offer's right, could, could have just one year under their belt and they're gone. And so that's the, the hard part that's going to be uh, going to have to be laid out and uh, dissected because for a lot of coaches, the roster nightmare at a place like Vanderbilt, it's a little more difficult with the money and spreading that out and kids paying more of their own way. But that is going to be the difficult part, the NCAA and the SEC of how they're going to do all that because you know, you've got your, and Chris, you're the pro of this. I've seen your your charts of when you've got guys who are coming back based on their year and their class and the expectations, and if you think they're going to go pro, and I've seen you do those incredibly over through the years, but trying to do it, like I don't know if you've even begun to even try to do it now, but trying to do that and not knowing the unknown is almost impossible. Yeah, I have not attempted that yet because I think it's still – premature um and and maybe well I, I think here's the one thing okay and then we'll we'll circle back to roster issues in a minute because I want to hit some things with the current roster before we go there we still don't know how many rounds the draft is going to be because if it's five rounds I think that's only 161 players who get picked and the free agent contract is either 20 or 25 thousand dollars is the most they can sign for so right there, you've got a really artificially low limit, and that includes high school, okay? So to me, it's um, are you going to get drafted or not? And and now the draft pool is, what, 12 13% of what it usually is. Sure, yeah, and that, and that's that's what some of these kids are going to have to to be advised on because you don't want to make the mistake of, of – of, involving something you're getting yourself stuck in you know where you can't come back because these coaches have got to make decisions on the incoming kids coming next year and the amount of money that they were promised or negotiated or guaranteed and and that 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 becomes a big old mess so it it it, it's a um it's something i know i wouldn't want to have to be in charge of because i mean there's going to be i know there's some kids who've entered the portal already um I forgot the kid's name. I, I saw that yesterday. It was an infielder from San Diego, I think, and I just his name escapes me. But uh, you're you're going to probably have some of that too, as well. Some kids who just said, you know, like I wasn't playing very much. I need to to uh, get off the train and go somewhere else. Well, I've got a list on paper in front of me, and I'm gonna we're gonna go over this roster with a fine tooth comb to make sure I'm not missing anything. I've got five or six categories of players <laughs> that we'll go into in a few minutes. But the one thing that really stuck out to me, this freshman class that they brought in, I mean, right off the bat, looks like it could be the best he's ever had. You look at C.J. Rodriguez and his 
bat-to-ball skills. You look at Carter Young. He had started every game at short and was playing pretty well, and particularly well for a freshman. Uh, Jack Leiter, everybody knows about. Parker Nolan had seized the third-base job. I think Tim felt really good about him. Nick Meldon, Meldon, fine in his first few outings. Not spectacular, but pitched fairly well for a freshman. Spencer Jones had started to hit the ball in spells, and of course he hadn't pitched yet. I saw Spencer Jones listed, I think, number two or number three on the draft board for 2022 somewhere the other day. And they're ridiculously premature at this point, but that tells you what scouts think about him. Uh, go further, you had Chris McElvain, who had struggled at times, but started to pitch a little bit better. Sam Laboki had just been lights out. Michael Doolin had been very good. Thomas Schultz had been outstanding. I mean, usually you hope that you can get three or four freshmen who really contribute. I mean, that is what right there, nine or ten maybe. I think that that pretends very well for their future. Oh, yeah. I mean, at 1.84 ERA through 18 games, I don't care what level. you. That's sick. I mean, that that's and, – and looking at uh, the numbers from the top to the bottom – you had guys who were throwing strikes, pitching to contact. The, the batting average against these guys was minuscule. So even more impressive, really, than last year's staff. And so a lot of youth coming in there. I was impressed with Schultz. I mean, th- th- I could go up and down the list. You, you almost thought that Lighter, Lighter was going to maybe, and this is just assuming things, but you kind of thought Lighter would develop into that Sunday role eventually. Um, but you know, it was, it was, Eater was not going to go down without a fight. Um, and it's, you know, it's great to have four solid pitchers who can, who can get the job done for regionals and, and SEC tournaments and all that. So uh, the pitching wasn't going to be a problem. And, uh, I, I was impressed with the class. I was really impressed with what you mentioned. Um, you know, I was surprised with Rodriguez and the way he stepped in behind the dentist, his, his handling skills, you can tell he's coached very well in high school and summer ball. He had great hands behind the plate. He, um, you know, and held his own in, in hitting. I, I didn't think he was going to be that, um, uh, good of a hitter. Uh, and he proved everybody wrong and played in 12 games. So lots of, um, lots of pleasant surprises out of that class. And I think that's something they can develop, uh, going forward. Well, let's break down the roster and the ways this could head in the offseason, or to better phrase it, between now and the start of next season. Right now, two guys in the transfer portal, Chance Huff won. My understanding is he just was not pitching in games because he was not pitching well in practices. I'm sure he saw the writing on the wall with the other kids on that staff, knew he wasn't going to pitch, so he is gone. Sterling Hayes, a kid who, what a season and a fourth in, had barely seen the field. He's the infielder you thought, or that you mentioned earlier, who is moving on. So those two, cross them off your list. A couple more in seniors, Ty Duvall and Harrison Ray, both starters. I don't know whether both will be back. Again, I guess Harrison Ray sort of said his goodbye on Twitter, it sounded like. Duvall, a kid who was a preseason, I don't remember if it was first or second team All-SEC catcher, very good player. Uh, but he will be, if he comes back in his fifth year, Vanderbilt 
by NC rules, retains the right to award him the same scholarship percentage that he got last year. But the question is, what is that? What's the balance he has to pay out of pocket? What's his school situation? Is he graduating? Does he get into grad school? All sorts of things. It just seems to me like my guess is it's more likely that those guys are gone than back. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, that's, that's two. Four, right? That's two in the transfer portal and two right. seniors. Which I'm not saying those guys are gone. I'm just looking at the dynamics and thinking it might be tough for them to return because a they've got to have a place in school, and b they've got to pay a lot out of pocket. I would presume. Right, and that's what I'm. You know, at Vanderbilt, if we're talking about a state school that the tuition is. $18,000 for some in-state kids. And as opposed to, I think I looked the other day, a friend sent me, is it 71,000 now? Not saying that it'd be a full, but that that's the full freight. Uh, you know, so you don't know how much uh, if the, the, that's all in a ball somewhere. The guys, Hamagate and all those things mixed together, which I've always said is one of the toughest things for the staff to go through and how they, manipulate those numbers to make them all work. Um, but you would think that Ray and Duvall, just if, if they want to play pro ball, they would jump off. I, I just think that, uh, you know, these kids have been dreaming about that. Sure. Winning national championships is great. And, uh, but there's a time sometimes when, if you're going to try it and give it a, give it a go, you need to, to give it. And who knows where they are in their academic part. So, and, and, um, as we talked about how they looking at the roster, how they're going to classify these kids. And because, you know, you've got kids coming in, um, it's going to be different from school to school. I think some of the, the state schools, again, where the tuition's not as much, you're going to have a slew of people come back and then you're going to have some that, um, aren't and, and how, you know, at, at the higher price schools, that's the main thing that I'm thinking is the nightmare the, the big headache is, is how to make it all happen with the number of scholarships you have and 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 award money. Well, and the next class of players is the guys who have already been there a couple years and aren't playing much. Matt Hogan would be in that discussion. It's not a long list. Eric Kaiser would probably be in there, although Kaiser had started to take on a bigger role. And frankly, Kaiser was really starting to throw well. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be in the 161 who can get drafted. I would think almost absolutely not. Of course, we are also making an assumption that that's where it's going to be. I don't know if he gets picked if it goes 10 rounds. Uh, I'm just trying to cover all my bases there. But I think that's the next class of players you look at. You say, who are the guys that aren't playing? Uh, you know, and if you throw in some some freshmen, you got some guys like TJ McKenzie wasn't playing much. Troy Leneve wasn't playing much. Um Ryan Keenan hadn't played at all. I think there was an injury in there. So that's the next class of players you kind of look at and you say, do any of those guys want to move on? Then I think you get to the guys who aren't going to be back. I think right now Austin is going to get, pick, get picked in the top five, maybe one overall. Yeah, I, I heard that. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, yesterday, one. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I don't know. Some there's. I think he's going to have some competition from – Oh, the Torkelson kid at Arizona State, Spencer Torkelson. He kind of has risen up boards a little bit. But point is, Martin's going to be a top-five pick. He's going to be gone. Jake Eater is still getting in some late first-round mocks, which really surprises me. 
Um, I think that indicates he's going to be gone. Hugh Fisher, kind of a wild card, but Hugh could easily, with the talent, get picked in the top five rounds. I would have to think he goes to, again, back to the thing with age. It's not, you know, we look at this in terms of, well, how many years do they have left as a college player? The pros look at it, and there's a huge difference just with every year that you advance in age in terms of your prospect stature. So the clock is ticking on that. I suspect Fisher is gone. Then you've got the class of Hickman. You know, where does he go? I think if he goes in the top five rounds, he's gone. But what if he doesn't? We talked about Tyler Brown. And then Ethan Smith is the other one, too, who I think in terms of raw talent uh, could go in the top five but was being looked at more as a top ten round guy. Well, if you don't have those rounds six through ten, then your alternative is to sign that free agent contract, which, again, I think is $25,000, which, look, under the old system, you could still sign a free agent agent contract for what up to $125,000. So I just think a couple of kids there, I'm not pretending to know what they will do, but for Hickman and particularly Smith and Brown, just that reduction in the draft and in the free agent amounts could make a huge difference in terms of what those kids do. Now, if one pro team likes him and reaches up and grabs him is willing to pay them the money, that's another thing. But those are kids that the numbers with the draft could potentially work against because, again, it is a very small school of kids who are going to be picked, and that also includes the high school players. Yeah, and you've got a lot of kids who pitched for Vanderbilt, Chris, and we could, I mean, it's, it's 8, 10, 12 kids that have pitched there in the last 10 years who logged 8, 9, 10 innings in a season and got picked in the top 10 rounds. And it's crazy. And it's just based on just their, their, their the, you know, the proteins like their arm. Next year. And you wonder if, if, if some teams are going to make a, uh, a strong push for any of those kids that you might just say, how in the world did he get drafted? I mean, there's a ton of kids that have just out of the blue who've had surgery, Tommy John surgery coming out. And then the next thing you know, they come to Vanderbilt pitched nine, 10 innings, and then they get drafted and it just comes out of the blue and the number of rounds you know, someone mentioned to me, well, what about the incoming freshman class? As you just mentioned, how do they factor in? If the rounds are limited, that's one thing, but Vanderbilt usually in the last several years, they're not going to lose the kid drafted in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. They've done a great job of keeping those. It's those frontline players who they go out and those kids commit, and then they the game is played and they get picked in the first round and those guys are gone anyway. So it's not going to be – the reduction of rounds is not going to really affect the incoming freshmen, I think, as it will the, Mace, the, the Hickmans, as you mentioned, the Tyler Browns, those kind of kids uh, for kids who are already there. I hope that makes sense. But if, if, what I mean is if, if we're going to lose a kid, it's going to be a kid who's a first rounder or second rounder was going to be anyway, rather than someone, you know, that Corbin and staff tend to keep those kids after that first round with the track record they've had with the David prices and the Sonny Grays of developing those kids. They're not going to lose those kids anyway. 
Yeah, and I'm going to circle back because Baseball America has, within the past couple days, and I did not catch it, posted its latest BA 400. It's usually 500. They reduced it this year because of the draft. That's their rating on prospects. But I think on the other end of things, and again, I'm going to hone in on where exactly these guys are rated. By the way, I will give you what I have in front of me. Martin BA has number one overall. Uh, It has commitments Robert Hassel. At Independence High School at number 16, that's actually lower than he's been in a lot of mock drafts that I've seen. It's got Pete Crow Armstrong out of Harvard-Westlake High School in California, number 17. So he would be gone in the first round. Uh, And then a couple other guys, the Bulger kid who's the catcher, uh, has been listed as maybe a second or third round pick a lot of places. I don't know where his stock has been lately. I'm going to check on that. And Enrique Bradfield, the outfielder, another commitment in that class that could go as well. And I'm going to see where they've got him. But I'm going to give you a second to react to that while I look a little bit more. Yeah, the hassle, that, that's uh, one that I know that uh, is wanted here. He's a local kid. You want to keep, you know, keep those kids as much as possible in the fray. And it's just going to be a money situation. I don't know him personally or anything about his family or whatever, but uh, it's uh, it's you want to try to hold on to those uh, kids who are just down the road, the Sonny Gray, the David Price type kids. Uh, I think it's great for the program and great for Middle Tennessee baseball, but it just depends. And you've seen that over the years is the family situation and 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 how they feel like they can develop and get better. The staff has proven that they can do that, but it, it's an individual family decision each time. And, and um, you know, this this will be unlike any draft that's happened in years just based on the, the unknown and, and how many rounds, how much money is going to be available, how that affects uh, roster balance. So uh, I would love for them to hold on to that kid. But as you mentioned, he's been all – I've seen him, like you said, late first round. I think you just said 16th. And that that's pretty hard uh, to turn that kind of money if it's if that kind of money in that money range stays the same. Uh, looking through the BA 400 as I scroll down, they've got Eater at 71. There's a big discrepancy of opinion on him in mock drafts. I would think whether it's 28 where I've seen him or 71, and I guess this is a prospect list more than it is a mock draft with BA. So those are two different things. Often they mirror each other, but there are some differences there for obvious reasons. So that's interesting. Uh, you see Hassel, I said 16. Pete Crow Armstrong at 17. Bradfield at 55. So he would be gone. And they had Tyler Brown at 400. Hmm. Uh, which would be another one that uh, that's higher than I would have thought he'd be. But if Tyler Brown, I think, is in the top 100 picks, I would have to think he would go. Hugh Fisher at 159. Um, Again, that's right on the verge of where you're drafted or not. Jack Bolger at 169. He's the catcher that I spoke of earlier. So, And Ethan Smith at 174. My goodness, you've got a huge Vanderbilt presence right around the fringe of the end of that draft. Which, again, the drop-off is huge because I think – Pick number 61 makes like $330,000 for slot, uh, but then it drops to twenty five from there for the free agent contract. Yeah, big, big difference there when you start. And I've looked at that in years past as far as the discrepancy there. And those, those kids know it and their parents know it. And it's 
it's uh, it is all laid out for them as far as what's in there for future from past drafts. Excuse me. So yeah, there's there's a huge huge discrepancy there in the money, and and that's usually uh, the deciding factor unless you got some slot money and how that all works. But um, yeah, it's it it remains. It'll be interesting to see just how it all unfolds. And I think right now it's too much of an unknown, except for a few kids like you mentioned, Martin. Uh, being the obvious one, and uh, who picks for who? What are the first five? You know, is it are the Tigers first? It goes Tigers, Orioles, and then I have to look up the rest from there. Okay, okay, yeah, it's, I, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure it was the Tigers with one. So, by the way, Mason Hickman at two oh nine in BA's latest prospect list. Yeah, I mean Mason's got you know he's got pro body. Uh, they. They like his frame, and and uh, I think his mechanics are good, and and I think he was setting out with how he pitched in the final game against Michigan, and just the, the notoriety and exposure he got there, and then how he started things off. I, I was liking how he threw the ball, so um, we'll see how that works out for him. But he's definitely got the frame that can be worked and built upon. I'm looking right now at D1 baseball's prospects for this year. Uh, they have a couple of the kids in the top 100 overall for prospects. That's different than draft. Jack O'Dowd at 95, Grayson Moore at 99. I didn't see those kids on that list, but I may have missed them. Uh, one other interesting development, they have picked up a catching commitment from Alan Espinal uh, out of Pleasanton, California. Same high school that Ben Hansen attends. He's also a Vandy commit. So that is an interesting development because it could say something about Ty Duvall. Um, they also had Max Romero, who was on the roster as a freshman. I don't know what the deal was with that one. It was something a little bit odd, but he had not played this year. So them picking up a catching commitment right in the middle of all this roster flux where they may have a roster crunch to me. Uh, tells you there is something going on there. I don't know exactly what that would be, but that's interesting. Yeah, and I, and I don't know if in your conversations uh, I was away and didn't get to listen to your conversation with Corbin, uh, or if you just had that in private or you had it on a podcast. I'm not sure, but it was private. Um, okay, yeah, I just I'm not sure how they are even going to know. And you, you've got kids who you know the the world continues with all this. I mean, you've still you've got. Um, you know, you almost have to go business as usual, but in in the world of kids giving out money and 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 knowing how much they're going to have to pay to school like Vanderbilt makes it even tighter. And uh, that's what uh, I'm pretty sure there'll be, there's going to have to be a deadline of some sorts. Of course, we'd be in the middle of the season now, with uh, you know the mid-April. You don't have to. You wouldn't have had to if the season were still going on. You wouldn't have to make up your mind now you wouldn't have known you were in this situation but now given the circumstances you're in it's it's going to be um pretty interesting how they maneuver it because you're almost like you know the season's been canceled and the and the the inclination is just to start like it's you know it's june but it's not i mean you still have some things some some things that have to be set in motion for all that to to be decided in full 
Well, and just to be clear, in case people did not hear it the first time, a lot of this right now is very speculative. And and even the coaches at this point, I think, are speculating. And one of the key things in this is going to be players talking to agents and those agents talking to MLB in terms of what will my guy sign for because it always has a lot of influence on how how the draft goes. And see, that's the other part, too, that – uh, further down the road towards the draft, I think some things will start to clear up there. How many rounds were there last year in the draft? Forty. If you, 40. 40. Okay. And and that's the way it's okay. been. Now, MLB was already making the move to reduce that to, I think, 20 or 25. That's the direction that they wanted to go in. I don't have an issue with it. But, again, uh, you're looking at five to ten rounds this year, which also causes you – all kinds of issues next year because all of a sudden the 2021 draft is loaded by a bunch of guys being in there who would have been off the board this year. But again, by the abbreviated draft, they're going to be there. So the draft next year is going to be super competitive. And that also has a hand in whether guys make the leap this year or whether they come back. Oh, absolutely. And and uh, those are tough decisions that are going to have to be made. And it's hard to make them when you don't know. You know, of course, you had the if you, if you you see the kind of flow chart, what's happening. You had MLB wanting to reduce the number of minor league teams that were involved, and then you think, well, that that parlays into the number of rounds because they're not going to need as many players, and it just kind of ties together. And of course, there was the big, um, you know, the brouhaha that happened with members of Congress getting involved as far as these cities, who the lifeline of the, the lifeblood of these cities are these minor league teams and there was a big pushback. So uh, if they're reducing the number of teams, obviously reducing the number of players. And if we'll see if that, if that, uh, I hate to see that for some of these communities you go to uh, that the, there's not a team in Huntsville, Alabama anymore. There's one in Madison just down the road, but those type of communities, Jackson, Tennessee, uh, as far as being close to here, how going out to the ballpark and watching minor league baseball is so essential to their summers and, and their enjoyment. And I can't imagine those cities like that. And that kind of um, criteria we're talking about those size cities, not having them. We'll just have to see how that plays out. Yeah. I hate that dynamic of it too. Uh, Before we end the podcast today, one more player we didn't talk about, he was on the roster, but of course he was not on the team. That's Jason Gonzalez. And that will be another interesting one. I don't have any info on how that's going to play out, but that's one to watch too. Yeah, and he was a talented kid, and they were looking forward to him coming back. And, and you know, where does he fit in is exactly uh, one of those things you add to your list as far as the unknowns because he's got a lot of potential um, and, and, you know, fell off last year towards the end, didn't play that much, but they're expecting big things this year from him, not on the roster, and, and what happens to him. So that is another slot that they're going to have to consider and, and uh, where he fits in and, it's just I'm, I I'm, can only imagine um, as far as, you know, when, we're all sitting here as parents. I know you got young kids I mean, when they're going back to school and I guess they're not going back to school and how that all plays out, the things that we've got to worry about. And then you got to put yourself in the shoes of these kids, too, who, who all these and you have to understand the mindset of, of, you know, as fans, you look at these guys and you see them. Uh, and like in the, the corollary is a Saban Lee, you know, people look at him in basketball and they think, 
man, I wish that guy would come back and, and for next year, and he'd be such a vital part of the backcourt for them and experienced. And, but you don't know these kids, the Saban leaves the world in basketball and the kids like uh, the frontline kids who are juniors, uh, the ball and the, you, 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 you've got to understand that these kids and the way the world works and operates in youth sports at a high level, they've been thinking about playing pro ball for years. I mean, it's something that started with travel teams and going to showcases and going and same with basketball, the AAU circuit. And so stepping in as a fan and stepping into their body and, and trying to be them and what they, what they're, goals are and what they need to do family money wise it all has to and a lot of times as fans people don't understand that they think well, why wouldn't he come they don't understand that but the kids at a high level that are coming to a Vanderbilt yes they're wanting to went, go to Omaha and yes they're wanting to play in the SEC and play for Tim Corbin those are all up there but it has been driven in their minds in today's culture that playing pro ball they all think they see themselves at yankee stadium one day and those goals all don't happen they don't come to fruition but you can't change that mindset and they they feel like that they all have a shot and it's going to be me and i'm going to be the guy who gets there and i'm going to break all the odds and do it and it is hard for sometimes for fans to get that through them that they're they want to take the chance because it's always been about the chance it's always been about chance that comes to separate that well school is out here in williamson county for the rest of the year we found that out yesterday um my wife told my kids and of course the first thing my son asked is well does that mean my baseball season is canceled and she said well i don't know and then he burst into tears because he is very much looking forward to that, and, and it's just it's been a, a tough time in that regard for everybody, but thankfully we are healthy and safe. Hope you and your family is too. Uh, what's the real estate market like these days? Well, Chris, you know, we're open, and a funny story, um, our company, Frederick & Clark Realty, has been around for, goodness, over 55 years in our family here in Nashville. We've got two offices, one in Brentwood and one in Green Hills, and there was actually a scenario for a house out in there where you live in Brentwood that amidst all this stuff that's going on, the house went on the market on a Sunday. It was shown five times. They had five contracts on it and the winning bid was $35,000 over the list price. And that's going on in, the, in one of in the worst pandemic in, in that's ever happened. So <laughs> to say that and that's not every situation, but we're still selling houses and showing houses. It's different now. It's, it's a lot of them are virtually. You still have people coming to town that were moving to town already and had the you know needed to buy houses. So the market is still there. I mean, you wouldn't think I'd be telling you that story of a you know a 1.3 million dollar house. And in the middle of all this, you would think that the whole system would just shut down, and it's not. I'm not saying, again, everything is like that, but we still have 152 agents that are in these two offices that are working the rear ends off to help their customers and maneuvering the selling and buying of houses and be happy to help anybody listening. You can look at us on the website at frederickandclark.com. 
And once again, we're Vanderbilt folks, been around for a long time. Um, my brother and I went there and I played ball there and my dad played basketball there. So if that is up your alley and you want to uh, investigate buying or selling a home, give us a call and we'll maneuver you through these rough waters. But uh, the real estate's still open for business. People are still, uh, but based on that story, I just tell you, which is kind of crazy, but uh, the good houses and the ones that are marketed well, the ones that are in great shape and taken care of are still selling. Well, Chip, I regret that you and I did not get to do these weekly podcasts this year. It's been so much fun in past years. I think we were going to have a fabulous season to cover this season, especially that SEC race. But allegedly there will be baseball next year. (laughs) And when there's something to talk about, you will be joining us again. And I very much look forward to that. Yeah, I just hope it's not during football season. Uh, I've heard those rumors about football maybe going February. That that will be – my wife and I had a discussion last night. I told her, I said, well, there's been a rumor that uh, – I think Chris Fowler said that football that, – that one idea they were floating is that football would go February to May next year if it got skipped. And she said, well, what would happen with baseball? What, how would you have baseball and football the same? And I said, I went over those. I go, well, maybe they could go Thursday, Friday, Sunday for games. They already do that anyway. Or they go Thursday, Friday, Saturday in the games that are on ESPN uh, on those premier games. And, uh, you know, that, that would be a, a something to maneuver delicately and how they would do that. But I, I guess there's a plan. They got enough time. But that would be a very interesting um if baseball and football were the same same year, same time of the year. Well, if that happens, uh, stock in caffeinated beverages is going to go way <laughs> up in the sports media, uh, in the sports administration communities for sure. Yeah, you, it would be uh, a lot of maneuvering have to go on as far as because I guess you couldn't have any games on Saturday. I can't imagine if you know um, if Vanderbilt has a football game on Saturday at home, you couldn't have a baseball, you'd have to skip a day just and couldn't have it early in the morning either. Uh, it's just the way they, the amount of, uh, people power that's needed to run a football event. but that's all speculative. Just like this whole thing is speculative, the world we're living in, but I've enjoyed being with you, Chris, and we can catch up anytime in the future. And uh, hopefully there's better and brighter things for, our uh, world and community going forward and hope everybody stays healthy well there certainly will be and i look forward to resuming these he's chip frederick i'm chris lee thank you for listening to the vandy sports podcast